Welcome to After the Act, a film podcast where we talk about movies and shows that we watch. We are your hosts. I am Randy, here with... The Last Latin Man in New York. Fun facts. COVID hit us hard. Damn. Damn. All right, Last Latin Man in New York. Well, today is going to be another fun one. We had a really good time doing the top five Adam Sandler movies of all time in our last podcast. Definitely check that one out. But we figured, why stop the anxiety of making lists like that with Adam Sandler? Let's expand it to other things we love. So today, as you see from the title, we are doing top five A24 movies of all time. This was not fun. You speak for yourself, sir. (laughs) I, I told you before, top fives make me itchy, anxious, and nervous. It's just there's no room. There is no room to accommodate everyone, and I don't like it because I love giving good movies good praise. And I feel like when you force me to bottleneck things in the top five, I'm just not giving things the, the praise they deserve. Let me just preface this entire episode by these are all just amazing movies. A24 is, I think I can speak for the both of us, one of our favorite production companies. The movies they take on, yes. while not always amazing, are just really out there and experimental and just just so original and you know in a time where a lot of things are remakes or sequels it's just really refreshing to have something new and uh you know maybe something a little bit out there to make you think or make you uncomfortable i feel like a lot of a24 films do that Mm. so uh yeah top five is definitely not the best a24 top five for me more of like the favorite ones out of the ones i've seen so far and uh I thought I saw a lot of A24 films. I thought I followed them quite well, but I think you can agree with me here, Randy. Uh, we didn't even really scratch the surface. There's just so much out there for this production company. It was actually really surprising. Yeah, it's wild how deep in the game they are. Um, definitely my favorite production studio out there is A24. We, um, Yeah, I remember we were just talking about doing it. Per your suggestion, I'll put that out there. And I was like, I love it. Was, it. You, it was you wanna, a joke. You want to suffer with me? Let's run with it. Because um, it was a suffering process. Because I, I think you hit it exactly. We want to talk about the movies we love. So if we're in a situation where we get to talk about our top favorite ones, and it's only five, it's like, what the fuck? It's like blue balls. There's so many more to talk about. And going down that list when we, we first like were playing with the idea of like, oh, yeah, what movies do they have that maybe we haven't seen? And it was like, oh, most of them. Got it. Okay. Most of them I haven't. There's so many I've seen, yet still most of them I have not seen. And uh, even in preparation for this, I watched maybe four more A24 movies in the last two weeks. And I'm like, God damn, most of these are good too. These are bangers. How dare they be so good at selecting what filmmakers they can support to see their vision through? I think that's the beauty of it. Like you said, there are a lot of them can be really unique. That's how I feel too. Like, Whatever they, whatever the process is, they seem to just be able to support the creatives as much as the creatives want to be supported. And it's, it seems like a beautiful process from the little I know about it. So it's almost like the, you know, like, like how Blumhouse started where it's like, you know what, just make a cheap ass horror movie. We'll fucking produce it and we'll go. They might have more hands on the reins than A24. I have no idea. But A24 definitely just supports, like, there's some weird movies that have not made my top five that I would love to talk about for days. But you know what? 
even making a top 10, you're eventually going to have a top five. So I was able to, I was able to put, I actually have a, have a top nine prepared. I want to talk about the five of them. I might, I might, uh, I'll drop some, we'll, we'll drop some honorable mentions. We kind of have to, because we're going to fucking, fucking explode. Weirdo. Top nine, <laughs> such a random ass number. I couldn't choose the 10th one. It was too hard. It was too hard. All of them are number 10. There we go. They're all 10. They're all one. They're all beautiful. These are our top tier movies. I somehow ordered this into my top five. And yeah, it's going to be fun talking about this. Hopefully you guys uh, hear some movies you haven't seen either and that you can go back and do the list of 824 movies and find it and watch it because these are some good ones. Um, we'll do the same thing with the Adam Sandler one. We won't spoil these movies. We'll just try to give our best overview of them. Um, and then let us know what you guys think. If you guys want us to go ham on any of these movies, maybe we'll do a spoiler version um, of some of these movies too for our retrospective. But, yeah, and I yeah. I mean, considering the times we're living in right now, no new movies coming out, what better opportunity than to kind of go and watch movies that may have not gotten the best love because they weren't as well-known or just weren't marketed uh, at the same level as some of these blockbuster films that have come out. So enjoy these little opportunities to just enjoy other people's art. That's what film's all about. Uh, but that's really all I have to say. I'm just yeah. ready to get into it. I, I don't think our list will be the same at all. Maybe one. Maybe. I can, we'll see. I can probably, I can guess one. We, again, we don't know each other's lists. I can guess one that I would be surprised if it wasn't on there. Actually, man. Yeah, there's, there's really only one. There's really only one. But... Yeah, let's just get into it. I can kick it off with my number five of my top five A24 movies of all time. And my number five is... Numero cinco. The Farewell. The Farewell. It's a 2019 release. Uh, It's a drama comedy starring Aquafina, who's been blowing up the 2010s with uh, movies. And she's fantastic. She's hilarious and all her roles, and this one was very much a dramatic role for Aquafina. Um, <clears throat> this movie is about uh, this uh, Chinese American family, and they learn that their grandmother is dying. The whole family, even the family still in China, knows that the grandmother di- is dying. The only one who doesn't know that the grandmother is dying is actually the grandmother, per a uh, Chinese custom of. If you know this kind of terminal news for your family member, if you can keep the information from them, just keep it from them because they think that burdens them to know their own mortality is coming to an end, uh, which is a really interesting cultural custom. So the whole family returns to China. It's Aquafina returning to China for the first time in maybe like a decade or so. And it's a beautiful movie. It's, It's an incredible premise of how do you even act around someone when you know they're going to die and they don't know it, you're trying to enjoy this, these last moments with them and they don't even know it's their last moments with them. And it's, it's a beautiful uh, take on this one custom of Chinese culture that I never knew. Um, but also Aquafina just does a, such a great job as being this, you know, almost fish out of water in her, her own culture or her own, her own, uh, hometown back in China and I could definitely relate to that kind of stuff like when you're away from family for so long you can get all this guilt racked up about it that's a pretty common thing for for us people who who flew the nest and never really 
went back to live, only went back to visit. And that's something she's dealing with too. Kind of like uh, the guilt of leaving her family, the trying to reconcile with what she wants out of life and progressing, but keeping a hold of her heritage and the people she loved growing up and specifically with her grandmother, just holding on to that relationship that it's always been so close. And yeah, it's a beautiful film. Um, we made a top 10 2019 film uh, list. And if I would have saw this movie, that would have made that list easily. That would have been my top 10 of last year's list. Um, it's fantastic. It's really funny. The grandmother, uh, I think she's played by Zhao Shusen. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong with that, but the cast is no, beautiful. It. It's it's a great, obviously diverse cast, uh, and I recommend it for everyone. It it actually had me in tears for the entire time of the credits, the entire time of the credit. I re I rewound the credits because it had a good background music to my tears. <laughs> That's how moving it was. So the farewell, beautiful comedy drama starring Aquafina, and my number five, top five A twenty four movies of all time. Listen, you got to love Aquafina's energy. I agree with you, man. Like uh she's she's been around for a while. Like she's she started off as a rapper from what I remember. Yeah. She had some bangers, man. She had My Vag. She had Queef. <laughs> uh she had Yellow Ranger. I think that's the one that made her famous too. Started off as like a YouTube rapper and then it's kind of cool to see that juxtaposition of her kind of taking the goofy approach to rap but also using it as an outlet to talk about the stereotypes that Asian Americans face every day uh, and transitioning into just really amazing films like The Farewell. So I completely agree with you. It's an excellent choice, really heartfelt movie. You're absolutely right that Grandma loved her her fucking energy. It's awesome. Xiao uh, Zuzen, yeah. she's uh, She was perfect for that role. I don't know if she was just playing herself or she's just a great actor, maybe both. But, yeah, man, it was, it was a solid choice and uh, – I also had a chance to learn a little bit about Chinese customs that I wasn't aware of. So anytime a movie can make me do that too, uh, I really appreciate it. Fun fact though, um, just kind of looking back at it, Aquafina is older than us, man. Did is you she? know that? She looks so young. Yeah. She's, like, so she's like 28, 29 or something like that. Now she's 33, man. And shitting on us. Go yeah. ahead, girl. All right. So, you know, props to her. Uh, but speaking of fish out of water, it's a perfect segue for my top five. Um, number five, if you want to give me a drum roll, please. My number five is uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Ooh, nice. And this this is actually a film that I didn't hear very much about. I feel like you and I had the same 2019, man. 2019 was filled with so many great movies that... A lot of them flew under the radar. I didn't even know about this movie until actually one of my family members, shout out to Catherine, she was like, oh, yeah, let's watch this movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I heard it's really good. I was like, sure. And I have to say, I, I was not disappointed. Um, it It's actually, it's great on many levels. The film, the, the cinematography is absolutely beautiful uh, in typical A24 fa- fashion. It's a very artsy film that uses these very not plain, but very everyday relatable characters to kind of talk about things that are relevant to current day and times, which is one of the things I really liked about this movie. But the the, the premise is, is that there's this main character named Jimmy and he has a best friend named Jonathan and they live in like a really tiny home. They're poor. And San Francisco, as many of you know, is one of the most expensive cities to live in. 
not just in California, but in the United States. And it really just, it, it revolves around them trying to squat or stay in the house that the main character Jimmy ha- grew up in or that his father um, owned at some point. And the whole film is just them trying so hard to stay in this really nice house uh, through any means. And, they, you know, as the film progresses, they fix it up. They uh, they have plays in there. And they even invite neighborhood people who, like, talk shit to them but used to be childhood friends. And they use it to impress them. And the whole film is just beautiful because it, it really talks about how minorities have this everyday struggle to kind of keep up with the Joneses, right? And in a way, we don't really see an outlet for our, or we don't really see a means to achieve true freedom unless it's, you know, magnified by the things we own. And we see that a lot today. Uh, Not to get too preachy, but, you know, whether rap music or music videos or just, you know, just the culture in general, we tend to have this philosophy that in order to be free, you have to be really rich and you have to have things in your life to to brag about and boast about and that's how you know you've been you've become successful and this kind of tackles that on a very abstract in a very abstract way and it's just it's just a wonderful journey these two friends eventually learn a lot about life uh trying to live in this house you know you see really uh classic actors like Danny Glover playing the grandpa of uh the best friend played by Jonathan Majors. Um, and you see other actresses like Tashina Arnold and Rob Morgan. And they're just, it's just a beautiful cast, beautiful film. It takes place in like this weird futuristic San Francisco where uh, I think the water is also polluted. So it's like a wonky world. It's kind of a surreal world, but it still manages to stay really relevant. It's my top five. Definitely take a, take a gander at it. You will not be disappointed. It's just, uh, it's just a wonderful film. Yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, from what I know about that movie, I think either <clears throat> um, it might be Jimmy, the one who plays Jimmy, and or the director. Um, it was kind of based off of their upbringing, their life, their real, their, their actual stories growing up of having this, you know, former house leave their family. Um, I forgot which one it was related to, but it's kind of cool that they can grow up. And then in their, I think they're all like in their 20s for the most part, create this film that represented their actual life and have it be so resonant. So that's a great choice. Yeah. And I didn't actually know that. So that that just adds a little bit more relatability to the film that I was talking about. So it really it really comes through in the movie. It, it really does. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. I don't know if you've seen that one. We'll, we'll get through the list and then talk about it after. But yeah, well, I've, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's an excellent movie. It's, a, it's definitely an excellent movie. Again, one I slept on in 2019 um, and then, you know, eventually watched. And I was like, oh, wow, this is fantastic, too. That could have changed my top 10 list if I saw it back then as well. Um, A24, they go hard. They go hard. But great movie. Great movie for sure. All right. And without further ado, here's that. Numero cuatro. Take it away, Randy. Yeah, my number four movie of my top five A24 movies is... Moonlight. Moonlight. Starring Herschela Ali, uh, Trevante Rhodes. Uh, you got Janelle Monet in there. Uh, great cast. Um, great soundtrack. I, uh, yes. Great. So many things. Uh, won the Best Picture Oscar. 
over La La Land that year. Um, and I just didn't see this movie. This movie just escaped me for almost half a decade until I finally was able to catch it. And like pretty much everyone said, it's an excellent movie. It's an excellent movie. It's a beautiful performance. Um, diving into three distinct chapters of this young boy's life, uh, very young adolescence, uh, teenage hood, and then emerging adulthood. Um, and yeah, it's about this, uh, young black man in, uh, somewhere in Florida and it's him just trying to live a life, a very troubled life. Uh, his family home is, um, just lured with neglect he goes through some really harsh bullying that a lot of kids go through. And then there's obviously a lot of, you know, uh, negative environmental influences that he's just as good kid in this mad city as Kendrick Lamar would put. And it's, it's a fantastic movie. I, I like it's, it was obvious contender for best picture because when you have this, this actor, I think specifically, uh, I think my favorite version of this kid, you see three different versions played by three different actors, but uh, the one who played the teenage version um, of this, of this young boy, it was just, it was a really good nuanced performance of you're trying to figure out who you are as a kid. And even though we should just be focused on being kids, you can't help, but try to explore all these different sides of you, all these different personalities uh, your sexuality is a huge thing that emerges with our with our pubescent years. And then once we start to blossom, we can't help but try to figure out what's going on with ourselves, our bodies, our feelings, with our friends and peers and all that kind of stuff. And there's so many great nuanced performances uh, with these actors. And trying to reconcile that with the the shitty environments that we can that kids can somehow find themselves in, and how that can change who you could have been, uh, you know, you have this good kid who does get influenced just by circumstances, just by his role models that were good people to him, but had these harmful jobs. Uh, there's, there's so much pain and beauty in what's depicted here, both in, you know, living in impoverished neighborhoods and dealing with a sexuality that is not accepted by the environment. And, uh, it's it's a beautiful portrayal of that. Herschel Ali does a great job in that. Um, you know, it definitely in the first like third of the movie, he's uh, prominently placed. And anytime he's in a movie, I'm already interested. Like he just demands the screen. Every word, every silence, I'm just hooked in on him. And then the other kid playing, uh, you know, playing the little version of him, just seeing him, just so sad. He doesn't even know how to express it yet, but. That culminating into his adulthood and him trying to reckon with who he was, what he's done, and who he can be, uh, it's beautiful. So definitely regret having seen this movie years ago, but I'm glad I got to see it um, this year. And that's it, it's clearly earned my top four spot of A24 movies of all time. And rightly so, man. It was, it was an Academy Award winner. I remember that same year. It was... Um had that big controversy, right? Because didn't uh, didn't it get announced that La La Land had won? But then they said mm-hmm. it was a mistake and it was it was Moonlight. Yep. Uh, so I remember all the talks. And I think it was Steve Harvey, right, who was the host when that happened. <laughs> no, although he st- he, it, they pulled a Steve Harvey. 
where Steve Harder did the same thing for a, I don't know one of the model competitions. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's like a yeah 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 synonymous. Yeah. synonymous. Pretty much happened. Pretty much the same thing. Exactly. Um, one of the things I really love about that film as well uh, is that Jadena is on it. You hear actually a version of Classic Man, which is one of our True. favorite songs. Chopped and screwed. Chopped and screwed. Yeah, and it was only made for that film. It's not even on the soundtrack, oh, from what I that. understand. Yeah, it was just, it was just made for that one for the scenes in the movie. Um, they have a really cool recreation of it on YouTube. Uh, if you, anybody listening wants to check that out, but it just everything just went together so well in that film. And it really, like you said, touches deep on those issues of how is it that we as, again, minorities can grow up in these rough environments uh, and still manage to be sexually free. And sometimes the answer is you can't. You have to kind of put certain parts of yourself away in terms of identity in order to survive some of these harsher environments, especially the main character who grows up in a really rough house uh, because his mother you know, has has issues that she's working on. I won't go too far into it because of spoilers, but yeah, it, it won the Oscar for a reason. If you haven't seen it, it's it's a delight. I think it's on Netflix right now, actually. It is. Uh, so so there's low incentive, or I'm sorry, there's low uh, there there is low, low barriers, low barriers. Sure. There we go. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah. So so go watch it. It's a it's a wonderful film, and if anything, you'll get to hear some Jadena. So why not? Indeed, indeed. All right, pass it on to you, your number four. My number four was actually one I was not expecting to really like all that much. I saw it as a, I believe I saw it around the same time as that Shia LaBeouf film um, where he's, it's kind of like a biopic of how he grew up. Ah, uh, Honey Boy. Honey Boy, yeah. I saw it around the same time and I was like, okay, this this seems like a movie that will be somewhat interesting. It probably won't be a world ender for me, but I was actually really wrong. Uh, my number four is a movie directed by Jonah Hill. Yes, the same Jonah Hill who is constantly in the Seth Rogen comedies, uh, but in uh, some other critically acclaimed films as well. But uh, mid nineties, that's uh, that's my number four. All right, really enjoyed this movie, and th- I enjoyed it for many reasons. First and foremost, it was very accurate, uh, as the title would tell you. Everything in the film is displayed in a very slice-of-life type of way. And every prop, every song that's played, every style of clothing, just even the vernacular in terms of slang from the 90s is accurate. And I really enjoy when a movie does that. And you see it a lot for period pieces like, uh, you know, Victorian times or you see it for movies that take place in the 70s a lot. But you rarely see a movie, at least I don't think I can think of another one that specifically tackles like paying an homage to the decade that was the 90s. And I really enjoyed that Jonah Hill just took that extra step in doing that. So it was very nostalgic for me, uh, which just kind of added to the charm of the whole film. And not to get into, again, too much spoilers, but the film revolves around a young 13-year-old boy played by Sonny Soljic. Uh, Soljic. Uh, his name's Stevie. And he's just spending a summer at home. And he's got an older brother who he doesn't really get along with. And as he's just walking around, he discovers a group of kids just skateboarding. And it tackles that whole skate culture of the 90s that was pretty prevalent in movies like... Um, oh, man. I'm trying to remember. Um... You, you, don't, you don't know what I'm talking about with Rosario Dawson 
Oh, Kids. Mm. That's what it was. Very reminiscent oh, right. of the movie Kids. And it has that same vibe. Uh, and it, this kid just becomes enamored with these characters, and he wants to become one of them. And because he feels neglected in his home, he kind of finds a family in these these misfits. And it really is just a... It's just a, a microcosm of just that whole generation of, you know, kids suffering from quote-unquote boredom. The 90s really weren't a decade of tough times. You know, you had the technology boom of the 90s. You had the economy doing well. So a lot of things that occurred in the 90s were great because of just the pop culture um, breakthroughs that were occurring at the time and the music and the art. So this does a really good job of showing these kids just kind of going through life and finding meaning in it even though, you know, it seems pretty mundane. And you've got some pretty interesting characters. You have one character named Fuck Shit, played by Olin Prennett. You've got uh, <laughs> one called Fourth Grade because he's not, they say he's less intelligent than a fourth grader. And you've got uh, another actor who I didn't really see in any film before, but he was really charming. His name is Nickel Smith. He plays one of the main characters, Ray. He's kind of like that older brother figure that the, the main character Stevie looks up to. And uh, yeah, this movie is just it's just well done, and it's a great it's a great coming of age story from anyone who grew up in that era and who maybe faced that same mindset or struggle, especially the skate culture in California. So yeah, it's very charming. Great debut for Jonah Hill. Uh, I think the only other thing I saw him direct uh, recently was the music video for that Danny Brown song, "Ain't It Funny." Uh, but other than that, I just I've always viewed him through the lens of an actor, and to see him kind of break through in directing, just you know, is he just is just really cool. He did a really good job, and as as aspiring filmmakers who want to do it all ourselves, I, I can't help but admire it. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Midnight mid nineties, great great movie, very charming. Very nice, man. Yeah, that's one of the ones that were on my list. Never got to it. Never saw the directorial featured debut of Jonah Hill yet still on the list and good to hear that it made your your top four there it sounds like something that could be right up our alley with i mean again us millennials love the 90s nostalgia so you're gonna win me over for that alone but good to hear it's a good flick yeah man it's uh it's it's fantastic definitely check it out uh, i'm actually glad that there are some movies we haven't seen on each other's respective list because now i'm going to go back and check some of them out uh, it's gonna be fun, and well, I'm sure we'll do a part two to this at some point. But sure. With no further ado, now we're getting to the real nitty gritty. This is where it started to get really hard for me. I'm sure it was the same for you. But yes. uh, yeah, tell us, man. Tell us what your number three is. I don't know how often I changed my top three. Honestly, my top five just fucking kept switching and getting replaced. Movies that I I'd like. You are a shoe in for top five, buddy. Then I added more. Like, sorry, buddy. You're not, I guess, a shoo-in. But yeah, top three times. So my number three movie of my top five A24 movies of all time is The Lobster. I fucking knew it. That's a great movie. (laughs) Great movie. The Lobster. Ever since it came out in 2015, there's not a person I've met that I've at least became acquainted with that I haven't told to go see this movie. I tell everyone I know to go see this movie all the time. It is this it's a romance sci-fi. Uh the synopsis goes as in a dystopian society, single people must find a mate within forty-five days or be transformed into the, an animal of their choice. I say that alone to everyone, just like that if if that doesn't interest you, I don't know what does in, in life. That is a ridiculous 
dystopian black comedy concept and it plays into that fantastically it's an incredibly dry deadpan comedy where it's literally as it sounds you're in this hotel you're single you have to find someone in a month and a half where you get turned into an animal the main character chose a lobster preemptively if he were to ever um you know turn into an animal or have to and what this does is it shines a highly uh, satirical light on how much we over romanticize romance in our societies, how so many people view it as the path towards self-actualization is you need to find a partner, even if it's through arbitrary means like this movie shows where, well, if you have a limp leg, then you have to find someone with a limp leg like it just matches up. That's all you need. Go have a kid. If if your relationship isn't doing well, well, they'll have experts saying, well, we recommend having a kid. It usually brings people together. <laughs> like they even have and I'll try, I'll, I'm trying not to spoil this movie too much for all this comedy bits. But the one I will spoil is they do a play on the merits of being in a relationship versus the downsides of being single. And you have like a man eating by himself starts to choke and dies. Versus a man eating with his spouse. She performs a Heimlich. He survives. You know, woman walking by herself gets mugged. Woman walking with a man doesn't get mugged. In conclusion, <laughs> you need to be in a relationship. Um, hilarious take on it. They have that sounds like facts to me, man. I'm I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, logistically in those situations, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of true. I'll probably just choke and die by myself. But it's <laughs> they they hang on those those really silly de- demonstrations of why you should be in a relationship. And then they have some pretty fun twists towards the end that I won't spoil here. But it's a fantastic parody. If you're at all a fan of deadpan comedy, black comedy, I recommend this uh, Yorgos Lanthimos directed film starring Colin Farrell as the main lead. Um, He's one of my favorite directors of the last decade for sure. And this movie shows how outlandish his comedy can be. Um, and I was glad a comedy can actually make my top five. A lot of these movies can be pretty heavy. But The Lobster, my number three movie of all time for A24 movies. So far. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. The Lobster, we've talked about it so much. I think you've mentioned it a lot in previous episodes as well. It's just a really good movie. Colin Farrell, kind of a weird role for him. I, was, I wasn't expecting him to in that kind of movie, but he really does a great job, especially that dialogue. Like you were talking about just the dialogue is so blatant, like brutally honest. The characters just say exactly what's on their mind. And it it adds to just some of the most comedic parts of the movie. Uh, I remember there was one part and I might be quoting it, not with a hundred percent accuracy, but essentially Rachel wise, who's in the film is talking about why she likes him. And how he makes her feel, the main character. And she was just like, yeah, he's just someone I want to f- I want to let fuck me in the ass. I'm just like, whoa, what? <laughs> that, uh, I guess that's love. That's how you know when you want someone to just fuck you in the ass. And I'm just like, that's that's great. Like, just the, just the, the dialogue is probably my favorite part of that whole movie. <laughs> that's a great example of that. You're absolutely right. The, the the universe is unique. It's not our universe at all, obviously. But the social dynamics don't exist 
the way we know them. So there's no social norm of courtesy. You just say how you feel explicitly. And it's so like, and that's just normal. That's not a quirk. That is the norm. And yeah, it creates beautifully uh, uh, anal based dialogue just like that. <laughs> so you, you know, I'm about my anal based dialogue. So I, man, we, th- we, we thrive on that kind of shit. No pun intended. But if, if any of that sounds appeasing, I highly recommend The Lobster. Check it out right after you finish listening to the, the rest of our top fives. I'm really surprised, too, man. And maybe maybe it's on your list still, but The Killing of Sacred Deer, I, I'm surprised that that didn't beat out The Lobster for you because I think you liked it a little bit more than The Lobster. Last we spoke, it might have changed. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it, it's good stuff good stuff that ending oh my god the ending of that movie just gets me every time it's 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 great go watch it people don't you know after you listen to us go watch it don't don't tune out just yet you got to hear my top three or my number three and uh i don't know if this is one you saw randy but my number three is a prayer before dawn Mm. came out in 2017 stars joel cole who's the same actor from green room and he plays a character named Billy Moore, who is an English boxer who becomes incarcerated in Thailand because he, you know, he's, he uses drugs and they come in in the beginning of the movie and they, they find him with drugs and they send him to prison in Thailand. And just as you would think, it's a, it's a pretty brutal and dark world that they paint. And what's even more shocking, I guess, about this whole movie is that it's actually based on a real story of uh, a real character named Billy Moore. And uh, this was actually uh, his recollection of events because this actually happened to him. And it's based off of his book called My Nightmare in Thailand's Prisons. So this movie, as you would expect, is just very in your face. It revolves around a guy who has to box in a tournament, a prison tournament, in order to gain his freedom because the winner of the tournament can, you know, gets, gets amnesty or immunity. Uh, but it's so much more than that. Obviously, the choreography is pretty great in the film. The training scenes are pretty great. But what really makes this movie powerful is just the survival aspect of it. The main character, Billy, just encounters these, you know, very tough-looking inmates, uh, like the one Kang, the one called Kang, played by Panya Yimun-Fai. Um it's just, man, there's even one scene in this movie where this guy is sleeping and because he happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, he gets sodomized by a group of guys and they show it. Like, it's a very brutal film. And I can't say much more without spoiling it, but this movie is unrelenting in showing you just how much it would suck to be in a prison in Thailand and how difficult it is to keep your sanity as well as, you know, train and condition your body and survive under those circumstances. So it wasn't a huge box office success. I think it only made like 310,000 US dollars, but it is, don't let that trick you. It is a fantastic film um, and definitely go check it out, but be prepared because uh, it's tough. It's a very tough film to watch, but uh, one that I think is actually very uplifting at the end. And it, it really just kind of shows you the struggle that certain people face. And it also has an aspect of 
salvation or reconciliation at the end. So, yeah, uh, check it out. I don't know if you saw this one, man. I have not. I haven't really heard of it before. So that's all very intriguing. Um, definitely sounds rough to watch, but the premise is something I don't think I've seen prison in Thailand life. So it's now on my radar. I'll have to check it out after this. Perfect. Say that's what I wanted. I wanted I wanted some of these movies, you know, to be ones we haven't seen. So that's cool, man. Let me know what you think, you know, later on. I'm sure I'm sure you'll have many opinions on some of the the scenes that are shot in this movie. For sure. For sure. All right. Sounds like a solid number three. And we're gonna slide in to the top two A twenty four movies of all time. And again, it just gets harder and harder to solidify that this was my second favorite movie of all time from my favorite production company of all time but i was able to do it i was finally able to narrow it down to the true number two top a24 movie of all time which is the last black man in san francisco oh man all right got an overlap on the list at least um yeah, this is one of the movies I saw in those last two to three weeks where I'm like, okay, it's always been on my list. Might as well check it out. Um, and I I love this movie. This is a fantastic movie. It's it's so offbeat. It's such a unique lens of direction and dialogue and plot pacing that all works so well. Um, and I did confirm what I said earlier. The, the, the script's in story is based off of the director Joe uh, Talbot and the star Jimmy Fails. Uh, that's his actual name is Jimmy Fails. Um, so it's about their their upbringing, those two. So it's it's first of all amazing that two friends can grow up together, uh, write and direct a movie based off of their upbringing. So that's a beautiful thing. Something I I you know we strive to have some story like that. So. Um, I'll echo everything you said. This is a, a fantastic take on, well, gentrification, uh, especially in areas like the Bay Area, San Francisco, where you've had all these families who had these family homes that meant so much to the people who lived in them be economically forced out when the prices of everything uh, eventually skyrockets. And it, it creates this dichotomy of the haves and the have-nots you know, that's, you know, throughout time has always been uh, a distinct uh, cause of dis- of distraught for people to be so close to something that you want that you used to have. And the character of Jimmy Fails, um, literally having that identity of where he used to live in his heart so much that in order to get over the the squalor that he lives in, the the, the impoverished environment that he has to live in um that he keeps the story of this was my family's house we built this house to his heart and he says it's for to everyone to hear um not only is it a great take on that kind of gentrification and uh how that can affect this single man but the characters are so lively like uh, honestly a lot of the characters in this in this story reminded me of people I grew up with, you know, like the, the, a group of friends that are always outside of, uh, Jimmy and, uh, Montgomery's house, 
just always talking shit to each other. And, and they're into some shit, but like their communication is I'm going to roast you. You're going to roast me. You better stand up for yourself. You can't, you know, you can't be fucking, you can't be a wimp about this stuff. And that's absolutely how I like, that's that, those are the people I was around. Those, that's how I talked to. Absolutely. I also used to talk shit like that. Um, and it was, it was portrayed so accurately, I feel. And then you have this off the wall character, uh, played by, I believe Jonathan majors, who was in that last, uh, Spike Lee flick, I believe, uh, for the fly the five bloods, but he plays this, this guy who's just, he's so immersive into trying to figure out characters for his screenwriting, his screenplay writing. Uh, and he, he'll just go up to people who are just like roasting each other about the fight and, he just acts like a director, like, yes, yes, good energy. Okay, that, that seemed really real. I like it. Okay, you stand here and you say this. You're like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of here. And he's just, he's unfazed by the impoverty he's surrounded by. Uh, he's just more interested in the characters, the people, who they are, and if he can translate that into art. So bizarre characters, but they all felt really grounded and real, too, at the same time. Um, it dealt with something that's almost a universal problem at this point where you have the have-nots living right na- next to the haves and doing whatever, trying to do whatever they can to become a have, finally become a have. And yeah, The Last Black Man in San Francisco have not seen a movie like this. I'm so glad these childhood friends can grow up and make a movie that tells their story but can still feel so universal at the same time. So echoing your sentiments, The Last Black Man in San, Fr- San Francisco, excellent movie. Deserve to be watched by everyone in my number two movie of all time for A24 films. Yeah, we were terrible middle, middle schoolers, man. Just just as an FYI, uh, yeah. those are those are the years where we really let out the demon. Uh, it's it's bad. It's because we deal with a lot of insecurities in middle school, I think. Or we're just evil human beings. I don't know. It's but both. It's very, it's very much both. It, yeah, it's most likely both. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, man. That was, again, everything we've said is just a small slice of what makes that film great. So go go check it out, Last Black Man in San Francisco. And, man, that's us. That's going to be us in the future. Two, two old friends make a script about their life, blows up. It sounds about right for us. Just saying. <laughs> last Black and Brown Men in COVID. <laughs> well, I am, the, I am the last one in New York currently. So. I might be the last one in Colorado. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so my number two uh, is actually another repeat. Uh, mine's The Farewell. Uh, it's such a lovely, heartfelt movie. I uh, I went into this film knowing very little. Uh, I actually, I believe I was introduced to this film by my sister Catherine again. She was just sitting there with my mother watching this. And they were like, oh, you want to watch this with I'm like, yeah, sure. It sounds like, a, like an interesting film. I'm like, oh, that's Aquafina. That's cool. Uh, and I was expecting something a little bit more goofy just because my impressions of Aquafina were always that of the goofy rapper. Uh, and I was just delightfully surprised. Everything we said is spot on for this movie. It is, it, it's a perfect blend of drama and at the same time, just like really funny, heartfelt family moments that I'm sure any one of us could experience in our, in, in our everyday lives. So it, that's what makes the movie so impactful for me. It's something I can relate to. I can see myself relating to in the future. These characters are very, very relatable, well-written. Um, so Lulu Wang, Lulu Wang just does a great job directing this movie. And 
man, everything, everything I said times three, I won't say anything more. This is a great movie. Aquafina is definitely a terrific actress. I don't know if she's been an actress in anything beforehand, but this was just such a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah, go check it out. All right. All right. We got a couple of repeats. I mean, again, we, you know, real recognize real. So it's hard to keep these movies off the list. Um, excellent. Number two. Man, we, we, we're almost there. We're almost there, buddy. We can finally this was, talk this, about this, again, the, the number one happy. movie. I'm not happy. I've got some unhonorable mentions <laughs> after this, okay? Just because I got to give respect to some of these other films. <laughs> I'm afraid our honorable mentions are going to take longer than us reviewing our top five. Because it's like, I don't want to feel like I left any kids out. You know, like, I feel like if I don't talk about them, that means I left them out of the car to our family vacation. And it's gonna I, be, I don't want my kids to feel that way. <laughs> it's going to be like those Oscar speeches when, like, they start playing the music and it's taking too long and they just start saying names really quickly. Yeah, they just that's, start spitting shit. Yeah, <laughs> That's what this is going to turn into. Just a heads up to anyone listening. Yeah. And I say, I don't care. Like, we love these movies. We're just going to talk about them <laughs> to a reasonable length. But... You know, we had to recognize the actual top five, and we have to acknowledge the top one here. Um, I won't try to guess what yours is. I know it's it can only be two movies. I just I know this in my I feel in my balls which one it is, but I know it's uh, out of these two movies that I'm thinking of. But internally can you guess what my so, number one's going to be so, so hold on before i do that man what you're saying is is you were thinking about me and you were feeling it in your balls yeah that's that's pretty normal oh, okay i just wanted to clarify yeah, yeah i don't i don't have i don't have gut feelings i have nut feelings that's where i get all my instincts from <laughs> what do my nuts say to me my nuts Randy, say I, to me. i've already told you this before <laughs> we're not in the movie the lobster we can't have dialogue like this you can't just say everything that's on your mind we have According we to have my people nuts, i can yeah, you're right. Whatever. <laughs> okay. You know, All I had right. to use I had to use some nut feelings. I had to use some some nut feelings. I had to use some some instincts, some some I, st- I still got to guess. Don't don't forget. <laughs> I think I, mean, I know. I, I, yeah. Yeah, okay. I I feel like you probably know. I think I know yours. We'll just get into it. No more teasing. Um this one this one is actually the easiest one for me to list. Every every other one was fucking difficult, but this movie has such a high place in my heart. For, I guess, fucked up reasons. But my number one movie of all time of A24 films is Hereditary. Oh, shit. I knew it. I fucking Hereditary. knew it. It was like, it's either Hereditary or The Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's it's one of those two. And man. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Hereditary, again, is another one of those movies that I've seen a while ago that I always talk about the people who will even dare to listen to me rant about films. Um, This is my favorite, probably my favorite horror movie of all time. I'll have to debate that a little bit further, but, and that's another top five I don't even want to (laughs) do. But Hereditary is, is my exorcist, I think. Like it's, it is the epitome of everything I want a horror movie to have as someone who would love to make a brilliant horror movie, this is going to be the the basis of so many influences of what I think can be a cerebral, scary movie. 
this horror movie it's 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 a horror drama movie it's a horror family drama the family drama depicted in this movie by this highly dysfunctional family is horrific enough without anything supernatural going on just literally the family makeup is terrifying it's tragic i would hate to be in this family <laughs> it's already a horror show but then they intertwine and they metaphorically use these supernatural elements to display you know the sickness in this family um, runs deeper than even this these couple of generations in this household you know it goes a couple of generations back and that's the beauty about Ari Aster's film here, here in Hereditary is that he's so good at using the vehicle of supernatural elements to display dysfunction to display toxicity whereas whether it's in a relationship like Midsummer or it's in the family dynamics in Hereditary. And he takes that to the the metaphorical extreme when things in Hereditary get really supernatural, really fast, and in really fucked up ways. There are scenes in this movie that are still burned into my psyche that I will never let go. It There are screams in this movie. There are cries in this movie that still break my heart for these fictional characters. Uh, the main character, uh, played by Tony, is it Tony Collette? Tony Collette, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that year, I think it was twenty eighteen. This movie came out. She should have won Best Actress. She puts in work as Annie Graham, the 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 mother of this family. The the things they ask of her, I don't know what she had to do to get into those headspaces, but I I hope she was paid well so she can afford the therapy that I assume would be needed just to confront hereditary's ask of her uh there so and th- that's just the drama of it like her cries her screams broke me and then it gets to more horror elements towards the end and there's one particular scene that's my f- prop maybe top scene of all time in horror movies where i'm not going to spoil it but you have to sit in the horror and if you're in a room with five people watching this movie each of you will get scared at a different time in this scene. It's the opposite of a jump scare. It's a slow burn scare. And it's beautiful. I've never seen it used as effectively as in this scene where at different parts of these two or so minutes you're sitting in this one scene that you notice the horror that's actually happening. It's beautiful. It makes you tear up in like if you I was in a theater and you just hear pockets of oh my god oh my god and that's beautiful that's exactly what the scene wanted it wanted to build dread and when you realize the dread is there you're not sure if it's too late or not and that's what hereditary is beautiful at it was beautiful at there's some jump scares but it was building an environment of fear that you could not escape there was very little respite of being able to take a breath because you were constantly either horrified by the mother, brother, sister, father, grandmother dynamics, or you're horrified by this fucked up supernatural lore that gets so interesting. <laughs> and then you actually want to research what the fuck was he doing writing this movie? What was inspiring him? Uh, hereditary, fantastic movie. I told a lot of my friends to watch it. I told them what it was about and they said, fuck you. I'm not watching that movie. That sounds horrifying and i'm like i know isn't it great i guess only to people like us but if you are at all a fan of horror if you are at all a fan of family drama 
if you are at all a fan of brilliant, and I don't use that word lightly, but brilliant acting, particularly by Tony Collette, watch Hereditary because that is why it's my number one movie of all time for A24 movies. That's saying a lot considering A24 has some bangers, man. But um, yes. I, Ari Aster, I remember her, for Hereditary, he uh, that was his first debut film that he directed. Everything else before that was a short or he, he had a hand in it, but it wasn't his debut. Like it, He wasn't at the helm. Uh, so it was Indeed. really cool but also really infuriating that he did such a good job <laughs> with his first movie. They had um, no business being that good. Exactly. He came out of nowhere and he just kind of like – Boom! This was easy. Mic drop. Just, That's what horror Jordan is. peeled the entire thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so he's just like, "What horror is that? Hard or something?" And he just kind of just destroyed the whole genre by making this fantastic, fantastic, terrifying, brilliant movie. So yeah, man. Um, you and I love this film. We've mentioned it several times in the past. Hereditary. It just it just does things to our bodies. And you were mentioning before your your friend said, "Fuck you." What Randy didn't tell you is now they're not his friends anymore, and I have the same problem. We don't have <laughs> friends anymore because we like recommending these just really horribly fucked up movies to people, but they should be watched because they, like you said, Randy, they really talk about things that we encounter potentially in the real world, and I think that's what's always more terrifying for me. Um, just family dynamics and the issues that occur every day within families and he just takes those struggles and he he magnifies them to these paranormal slash uh just really toxic levels and you just feel it it's viscerally like a punch to your gut uh and like you said it's a slow burn uh from start to finish but it, it, the payoff at the end for me is is amazing i know a lot of people are torn to either really love the movie or they really hate it because i guess of the ending but i think it's it's absolutely brilliant um, I know before this, Ari Aster released two short films. One was Munchausen, and I think the other one was like there's something wrong with the Johnsons or something along those yeah. lines. From and I read what that movie was about. I think you actually watched it, I, and I'm I'm I afraid did. to watch it. I'm actually I'm actually just too shook out of the synopsis. <laughs> to, they're to they're watch both it. free on YouTube. It's worth a watch, and you can see uh, both his films, Midsummer and Hereditary where he got that inspiration from because both of those short films uh one takes from uh hereditary which is the johnsons and then the other one takes from midsummer which is munchausen um so you can see how he already had that tone in mind with these short films and it's just really really incredible to see that signature of his uh, so ari aster is amazing i think the next thing he said he wanted to do was like a four-hour comedy of comedy. some kind yeah which i'm sure he won't disappoint on uh, but yeah, absolutely excellent choice, man. Now for my number one. Drum roll, please. Get it. And my number one is bows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air. Yeah, that's right, Judy Collins. <laughs> Fucking killing my soul. At the end of Hereditary, because that's my number one as well. Boom! We got <laughs> two movies one, in our top five. One of two movies. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be that or Midsummer. Yeah, I knew it had to be Ari. I Listen, knew it had to be Ari. I'm looking at I'm looking at my number one here, and it's Hereditary slash Midsummer. I couldn't decide, but I think if I had to pick one, it'd be Hereditary, just by a little bit. 
Um, That's fair, man. I just I just said it all with with uh, what you said and what I said. There's really nothing else that needs to be said about Hereditary. It is just deeply disturbing to the core. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you and I, being the film buffs we are, we have a lot of top fives internally that we like to share, and this is one of the ones we pulled out. But one of the ones I have is for horror, and we we discuss our top five horror films quite often, just you know, in casual conversation. But I actually, you know, recently shared my top five in horror with uh, with my girlfriend. Shoutouts to uh, Renee, and this was Midsummer was number two. And honestly, she saw Midsummer; it destroyed her soul. I felt so bad because she she it, <laughs> now it was now you're single. It was heavy for her. yeah. I don't have a girlfriend now, guys. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, and Sounds mid and Hereditary beats that out. So if you've seen Midsummer and it made you deeply uncomfortable, take that and multiply it by two. That's what Hereditary is. And man, just just the tone of that movie just just makes me shit myself every time. Uh, it even I remember when I first saw that movie. Story time here. Um, I had heard about it from you, Randy, and I had heard great praise from it, but I never had the chance to look it up for myself. And you know what? You know I tend to stay up pretty late, and it's like midnight, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna check out Hereditary at midnight. All my lights are off, my door is closed, and I'm blasting this movie through like my TV and speakers. And I remember once it's over, this movie's like two hours and change. I called you, Randy. And I was like, bruh, I just saw Hereditary. And you're like, oh, that was a terrible idea at this time. I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and I know exactly the scene you're talking about. And that's really the scene that just made me kind of like look around. I was just like, mm, am I going to die? I feel like I feel like I'm terrified now uh, forever. Uh, wow, what a great scene, especially for horror films. So. Not only is it a is it a benchmark in horror movies in general, but it's just a great film overall. So go watch it. It's got that great Judy Collins song, um, you know, both sides now at the end, which just adds to the creepiness for me. Ari Aster, man, hat off to you. Uh, Absolutely, man. What a ride! Hey, we did it. We did it. I actually had a few more movies on our shared list than kind of expected i expected i expected hereditary i did expect that much um but i mean again a24 you're you're fucking beautiful i love you never stop you produced brilliance um there's some there's there's definitely a24 movies i don't like that i've seen but compared to the ones i love like (laughs) tusk (laughs) looking at you the witch Oh, oh, I hated that fucking movie too. <laughs> the Lighthouse, I hated. Oh my god, what I haven't an seen annoying Lighthouse film! <laughs> I saw the check same, that out. Same maker as The Witch, so I should tell you everything. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. Uh, I can. I. I can almost understand how people could like The Witch because it was very high praise. But I won't even get into it. It's not my honorable mention. But a lot of these movies are so hard to pick from. Like you said, Killing a Sacred Deer. I'm surprised that wasn't on your list. Yeah, me too. It was for a while until <laughs> so I started adding some shit in there. Me seeing the last black man in San Francisco and Moonlight in like the last two weeks definitely just pushed off like a few good movies I really wanted to talk about. But uh, my uh, one of my honorable mentions is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I love that movie. Um, it's also directed by uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of The Lobster and the director of uh, fuck, what is it called? Emma Stone is in it. Uh, one. Parts of being a wallflower. 
No, it's uh, it's uh, the favorites, the favorites, um, which I think it won one of them either best supporting actress or best actress. Uh, but the favorite is also a really good movie. Came out in twenty eighteen, and finally, you know, he was getting some Academy Awards for something he made. Uh, even if it's just supporting his actresses who got it, but the Killer and the Sacred Deer, uh, similar to the Lobster, has like the same. It feels like it's in the same universe where they are just very explicit. Like there's like this grown man talking to this, this kid. And he was like, "Hey, have you gone to puberty? Uh, yeah. Well, take off your shirt. Let me see your armpit here. Oh, okay, you did." And then he just like walks away. Like there was nothing even like sexual about it. He was just curious. Like, are you even of age to son to do this kind of stuff you're looking at or whatever? It's all right. Yeah. Um, saw, saw your uh, pubes in your armpits and I'll continue on your day. Or, or the way people have sex in this universe is the woman will lie down so that like sideways on a bed so that her head kind of drapes off the bed. And then the guy has to like nick her neck, her nick, her neck, and then continue with the fornication. That's how sex is just is in this universe. It's so bizarre, but none of that even matters to the crux of this Greek tragedy that is killing the sacred deer, which is just giving them a Sophie's choice of you have to choose someone to die. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bizarre fucked up psychological horror movie, like sci-fi, like not even sci-fi, but like fantasy horror movie where someone's forced to do that. So it's very tragic. It's very, it's very Yorgos. Um, and it's I, it, I wanted it to be on my list so badly, but you know it it's my number one honorable mention at least. Uh, do you have like a top honorable mention? Yeah, so I'll I'll give my top honorable mention, and then I'll just quickly list the ones that I really was torn on in my top ten. But I think my biggest honorable mention was probably, and this is a tough one, Moonlight. Moonlight was on my top 10. It's just a really good movie. Oh, fair, fair. Yeah. Really enjoyed Moonlight. Since we mentioned that one already, I won't go too far into what what is great about it since we already kind of did that. But just other ones on my list, which is funny because there are some of the ones that you picked. Uh, the Lobster. I really love that movie. Um, Midsummer, obviously tied for Hereditary. Couldn't really decide. Uh, the Disaster Artist. Really enjoy yeah. that movie, but it's... It's a pure comedy, and even though it's a feel-good story and it's very relatable for us being aspiring like filmmakers ourselves, it just didn't beat out a lot of these other films, uh, but still really funny, brilliant. Definitely go watch at least once if you want a good laugh. Um, Uncut Gems, another beautiful A24 film uh, that was on our top Adam Sandler, top five Adam Sandler films. Uh, It just wasn't good enough to beat out some of these other heavy hitters. You got Ex Machina which is another movie that really shook me to my core, um, but just you know just couldn't quite make the cut. And uh, last one was Green Room, another really disturbing film who, you know, one of the actors in that film, as I mentioned, is in the movie A Prayer Before Dawn playing Billy. Uh, but yeah, these just A24 constantly puts out bangers. They, they, they even have a lot of like mad to bad films like we just mentioned before, but I appreciate any production company that, whether good or bad, they really strive to give you something original and to give a lot of these more obscure ideas uh, an outlet to to kind of express themselves and reach an audience to some degree. So, yeah, those are That's my honorable fair. mentions. Cool. Now I'll fly through a few other ones, um, but yeah, all those could have definitely easily made a top five list. Obviously, would have made a top ten list. Um, Midsummer we talked about. We have a whole review about that movie. We really like it. Um, 
Morris from America. Well, obviously Morris from America, but I saw that in the last three weeks too. Stars Craig Robinson. And it's really cool little kid um, who they're just, you know, a father and son, no mother. Uh, she passed away and they're living in Germany. And this little kid wants to be a rapper and he's surrounded by these weird German white people. Um, the father is too in Craig Robinson. And it's just a really heartfelt comedy, a uh, little drama comedy. It's, it's such like, talk about feel good movies. Morris from America. Fucking adorable movie. I really like that movie. And then Eighth Grade, uh, directed and I think written by Bo Burnham, a really funny comedian. But that movie was really good. You know, I've never been a I've never been a teenage girl before. I don't think I ever will. But this sounds like a movie that depicts what it is like for today's teenage girls to live in middle school. It sounds awful. Social media is a thing. You get bullied from so many more platforms now than we've ever uh, had to face growing up in the 90s and the 2000s. So eighth grade just depicts this one little quote-unquote awkward girl's journey into trying to be as strong as the YouTube video she makes to inspire other people to be strong. Uh, she just she tries to be their best self, and it's it's heartfelt, it's it's tearful, it's really nice. So eighth grade, Morris from America, Midsummer, um, and Green Room too. Um, all very good honorable mentions that I love dearly. They just couldn't beat out our fire fucking list. But again, A24. If you're curious what movie I should watch, just you might as well just not only pick from our list, but just pick any of those movies. They're probably you're probably going to land on a gem. I see what you did there, man. That was a great pun, by the way. I don't want it to fall on deaf ears here, but you know, you you love the killing of the sacred deer dearly. I, I see you, man. I I appreciate I appreciate a good pun. I'm sure our audience members do too. But uh, yeah, no, I like you said, so many good movies from A24. There's so many I haven't seen. I didn't know uh, much about Eighth Grade. Uh, I did see it as like a recommended A24 watch, but I didn't get around to watching it. So I'm sure we'll do a part two of this at some point. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Uh, It kind of reminds me of Pen15, the show, just the premise, just like middle school girls acting awkward. Absolutely. Like that was in the 2000s, the Pen15. And I love that show as well. Uh, Yeah, this one is like eighth grade, but in like the 2010s. Okay, so just as bad, I'm sure. Just as bad. Uh, yeah, in cases it sounds worse. It sounds way worse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, this was this was a lot of fun. It was very stressful at first, but just kind of going out there and, and just saying why some of these films are amazing felt good. Um, and I'll probably yeah. go back and rewatch a lot of these anyways. So it's always it's always a delight to be able to watch good films, especially during these tough times. It's nice to know that uh, no matter what, there's just an abundance of movies out there that have yet to be discovered, have yet to change my life and i'm sure the life of anybody watching them to some degree so yeah Very fair. yeah i might watch hereditary again tonight just to feel better about my life honestly you know, <laughs> yeah that's talk about a perspective check that's just unique to us <laughs> man don't recommend that for other people no mostly just destroy your existence it still might destroy mine um but man this is fun i'm glad you even on a on a on a, a sideline that you you recommended us doing a top a24 movies you have any of the any other ones in your heart did you want to do a top five horror, top five comedy, top Ooh. five director movies? Man, we what, could, what feeling, we could, man? we could do that. Um, <laughs> what I'm really feeling for next episode is uh, let's do a, let's do some throwbacks or maybe a foreign film. Um, you know what? No, no, I've got it, man. I've got it. Hmm. The next episode should be a top five. Let's do a top five favorite director of some kind. 
Let's oh, let's figure shit. out the director off screen here, but yeah, we'll do a top oh, five you movies of my now. favorite director. Yeah, you don't did it now. Ugh. I'm feeling this top five flow. Let's get I it going. I hate you. All right. Listen, I hate All myself. Right. It's done. So <laughs> it's done. <laughs> it's done. We're doing it. Top five directors, dead or alive. Boom. <laughs> All right, that should be a fun one. Um, and yeah, if you guys have any ideas as to what you want to hear next. If it's a top five list, let us know. Let us know your top five uh, A24 movies. Uh, I'm sure it'll be vastly different than ours. Tell us why we're wrong, why we're right. We're, we're right, but tell us anyways. Um, and until next time, we're, re- we're going to do our top five directors of all time. Um, you can check out all of our work at malinpictures.com. You can find more after the ac- episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all those platforms. And follow us on social media at After the Act or Malin Pictures to see more of our work. Thank you for being with us for over a year now. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep churning them out. Keep watching movies. Enjoy your life when you can. All hail Hereditary. Peace out. We love you guys. Be safe. Peace. <laughs>